Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And we are fresh into September, which is our 25th anniversary month. So I hope that you know that. If you don't know that, you do now. Uh, September 1st was the 25th birthday for Boundless and uh, founded all the way back in September of 1998. And so uh, here we are. The show is not 25 years old, though, but it is 15 years old, which is amazing. So thank you for hanging in with us and for being part of the Boundless family. All right. As we often do, let me tell you what's coming up on the show. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who's wondering if someone has a past struggle with something such as same-sex attraction or self-harm, when is it a good time to tell the person you're dating? So counselor Glenn Lutchens is going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Mark and Rosie McKinney have a powerful testimony of how the Lord rescued their marriage from pornography addiction, and they're going to share their story and also give some hope for you listeners, especially those who are wondering, like, I'm not even married. How do I even trust someone going into marriage? This is making me not even want to pursue a relationship. And so hopefully you're going to get some great practical encouragement for that. Okay, for our roundtable today, we are going to have a similar conversation actually about living in freedom from pornography addiction. And as I was thinking this through, I was kind of like chuckling to myself because I was like, Maybe we should just do a series of shows where we all just talk about sin struggles on any <laughs> level. It's always like, okay, let's talk about porn. Like, that's just the subject, you know, that we're going to talk about. But I'm like, my goodness, we could do an overlay of this, of all of the things mm-hmm. that we struggle with. And even today's guests, because we're going to hear a couple of stories here. I'm going to just be honest and say that, you know, I think they and all of us maybe struggle with more than one sin. I'm just venturing a guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so, so we're going to level the playing field by yeah. putting it out there and being like, hey, y'all, we all sin. So let's talk about it. So with that said, I want to welcome Alex and Sterling and Carrie to the table. Hey, y'all. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Always a pleasure. Okay, very good. Um, I think that this segment came about because Sterling, it was a few weeks ago or maybe a couple months ago now that you were on our show and you referenced, you know, like, hey, well, here's how I got freedom, you know, when I was walking through a pornography addiction. And we were like, man, we should just ta- we should talk about that. And quite frankly, we just like talking to Sterling. So it's like, <laughs> what, what, yeah. you know, other than just his Matchbox car collection from when he was younger, can we bring and have him uh, talk about? And so we picked this. And so <laughs> congrats, Sterling. <laughs> Not what have I, I would have picked for show and tell. For, but. <laughs> okay. Well, that's okay. Um, and Alex, our own engineer, is here yeah. willing to talk through his story and Carrie is here as one of our licensed professional counselors who is on the phones and with clients uh, consistently to talk about pornography and other um, sexual addiction issues, as well as like, what does this look like for women? Mm -hmm. So that perspective as well, Um, because, you know, even though we're two guys and two girls at the table, you know, we want to make sure we're equitable in talking about the um, the topic as well. So, okay, I want to kind of just start out and talk. Let's start out with Alex and Sterling specifically talking about your stories. Give us a little overview, because as I often say, when we talk about any kind of sexual sin, pornography or whatever, no one sets out as a child or teen to be like, you know what, that's the one thing I really want to get into, because then I can just, you know, tell people about God can, you know, rescue me from that or whatever, you know, it's like never part of your life plan or whatever. So tell a little bit about what this, um, what this looked like for you. Yeah. So in May of 2021, that was the last time I viewed pornography. And before that was 10 years of just this addiction that in my eyes was my defining sin. I thought of it in that way of like, if I could just get this sin out of the way, then me and God would be okay. And then I, everything else in my life would kind of go smoothly. It was about at the 10 year mark of being addicted to pornography. 
that I said to myself, you know what? I'm tired. It's 10 years. This is a, a, a milestone. You know, this is outrageous. Like I'm finally going to kick this thing. And so that started a process of five months of probably the toughest time of my life and just setting up a boundary and breaking it, setting up a safeguard and relapsing again and again. And yeah, something about the month of May, where May 1st, I had a conversation with uh, a guy named Neil, who was in one of my accountability groups, who taught me about breath prayers and praying things to um, not like ward off temptation, but giving temptations to God. And that was the thing that stuck. And Mm. so even to this day, I, I don't have a story that like I was never tempted again. And I was miraculously like no longer attracted to any of my old, you know, proclivities. But instead, um, God gave me the key to fighting addiction, which was himself and, and the strength yeah. from his hand. So that's a bit of my story. Yeah. I definitely want to circle back. But Sterling, go ahead and give us kind of your snapshot story. Uh, so I had uh, an unfortunate experience where some friends introduced me to pornography when I was 10 years old, Mm. um, just some neighbor kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it always boggled my mind that uh, before I had gone through puberty, um, before I I had the talk from my parents, uh, that these hooks could get real deep in me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it did, and I I got addicted and spent my entire teen years and and young adult years um, addicted uh, to porn, Um, even through accountability groups and uh you know i I talked before a little bit about um i was part of a a young adult college group that really focused on hey this is an issue that people today face young people younger and younger every year are getting um exposed to this and we need to fight this this is something that we want to stand up as christians and say yes it's normal so we're going to talk about it but it's not okay it's not culturally something we want to strive for it's not god's best Mm -hmm. um and so i i uh was a part of that group for a while and they helped instill some accountability issues but things still uh happened and it really wasn't until i got married and started really seriously thinking about family more that that started uh i won't say the seriousness of it all um hit home for me because the, the truth is thinking about how serious it is doesn't make you want to quit more. It just mm-hmm. increases the stakes and can increase the shame and guilt when you fail. Yeah. Um, but starting to think about family and, and the implications that I had as a, a spiritual leader, um, as a husband and one day father, uh, really started weighing on me much more and driving me to uh, submit in obedience to God uh, a lot more. Yeah. Uh, so it you could probably say over half my life uh, was spent in this in this slavery mm-hmm. uh, to this addiction. Yeah. So interesting. Um, also a little uh, commercial here for you listeners, uh, those of you listening, that the next segment, our culture segment, uh, one of our guests, Mark, is going to reiterate that and the whole idea of, you know, just saying, yeah, it wasn't that he didn't want to quit a porn addiction. And it wasn't that he didn't think he had a problem. He had the want to, you know, but it was really, and and for him, you know, he got married and his wife kind of realized that he was still in the throes of it. Um, I think that's where, that's a good distinction to make of just like, yeah, you can, no one's going to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just hanging in there. I just want to keep this up. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, my goodness, Carrie, what, um, what you're hearing here, is that something, does that mirror a lot of what you're seeing with clients and, um, you know, male clients in particular? And then what would that look like for women maybe in, in pornography addiction? Yeah, so which uh, Sterling had shared as far as the the age of exposure is pretty common, that mm-hmm. there's um, usually some exposure in early childhood. Yeah. And many times um, what folks will say looking back is they knew that it was wrong. They knew that they kind of felt dirty. But outside of that, they really didn't know the gravity of mm-hmm. it until it was really too late, until they were already hooked and already addicted. So, you know, we, we get this, uh, this, I think this is probably one of the top five reasons people will call. It's either affecting their marriages or it's affecting them as individuals. Mm-hmm. And as far as, you know, its impact on women, we don't have as many women calling in that have a personal struggle with pornography themselves. What we do know is that it's increasing pretty rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was sharing with these guys earlier that I'm curious about the call rate on that, if it's really 
indicative that women feel that there's more acceptance that it's a male issue Mm -hmm. um, or that even though it's still wrong and it's still a sin, it's sort of like this mentality of, you know, guys will be guys. And this is something that so many men struggle with, but because I'm a woman and I struggle with it and because it's not discussed much in the church, Mm -hmm. um, that that there's somehow more pathological um, because as a female that they're struggling with it. Yeah. I feel like also with females, there's a lot in speaking as a female from from my circles, there's a lot more justification of um, the way it presents itself. So whether that is uh, straight up TV, or that is novels, or that is more of a um, descriptive nature of pornography and what goes on in the in the mind rather than visually and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of women talk to me um, about that in particular. Mm-hmm. Now I want to circle back and because both of you alluded to whether it was accountability groups or being in teaching on this or whatever, I think that kind of speaks to this myth that oh, the only reason someone is struggling with pornography is because they haven't told anyone or they're so secretive about it or they're so, and you guys are both kind of saying like, no, like I had friends. I wasn't just some weird recluse who was just like, you know, saying, oh, it's just me and God or it's me and not God or or whatever. So talk a little bit about that. When, when you talk about really going after something that is addictive in nature like this, what for you did you realize quickly wasn't working even if people told you it should and then how like how did you turn a corner like what i mean you alluded alex to your kind of aha moment a little bit but talk a little bit about the failures because 10 years is a long time and clearly you it wasn't for lack of trying yeah there was a i think i tried everything Mm -hmm. you know i might not you know that might not stand up against someone like in the culture segment later he's going to talk about how he tried even more things than i did Mm -hmm. but everything that you'll see on a google search and how to break a pornography addiction i feel like i tried Mm -hmm. i got you know software for my electronic devices I set up accountability uh, groups, either with friends or with strangers that I'd meet with regularly. I would consistently confess my sin to people around me. And I would even, you know, pray for deliverance. I would do that often. And none of it worked. I just felt like I, uh, I just remember feeling like no matter what I do, I can't get out of this. And I felt so hopeless. And so my story, I think what God was trying to write in my story was that without him, it is hopeless. It really is hopeless without God's faithful power to enable us to do his will. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think a lot of people could quit porn without God's help, but then that would just be replaced by you know, self-reliance and pride. And so in my story, me trying everything and it not working brought me to my knees to the understanding that I need something bigger than this. I need something bigger than my effort, my self-determination, my willpower to break this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I feel like one of the more important points I kind of came to through personal experience and talking with um, many of my my guy friends who struggle with the same thing, um, and even female friends, is I, of course, didn't want to be addicted to porn. I didn't want that, but there's this level kind of counterintuitive of saying, you know, just if you have enough willpower, you just don't want to do it, then you won't do it. And that's true on some level, but eventually because we're human beings with a flesh nature and we live in a fallen world, uh, even if we're redeemed by Christ, there's, there's all this temptation around us. There's going to be a moment where you do want to give in to the lust of your flesh. And if your reason for not looking at porn or not engaging in sin is I don't want to do that. I don't want those consequences. Then ultimately my motivation is whatever I want and saying, I don't want to do this only holds up until you want to. Mm -hmm. And then that's your, your, your kind of impetus is gone Mm -hmm. for avoiding and for having that willpower to, to walk uh, a, a higher standard. 
Yeah, that's interesting you say that because it reminds me of what it's it's almost like we need to just remove willpower from our vocabulary. Please, please. It is like a <laughs> finite resource mm. <laughs> that people don't realize like you cannot. In fact, I'm, I'm so reminded of um, a recent interview that we had with Drew Dick, who talked about um, your future self will thank you. The whole thing was on self-control. And one of the things that he said was that good habits will eat willpower for breakfast. And so that idea of like, it's training ourselves in scripture, you know, training ourselves in, in righteousness and reliance upon the Lord and literally supernatural intervention. It's the whole reason we get a new heart in the first place, um, because God knew that we couldn't shore up our own uh, in our own strength. And so I think that's so helpful that you guys delineate that because we we put so many things in place, whether it's apps or, you know, taking putting filters in or, or whatever, and we think that we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, whatever our sin struggle is. And I think it's so great to just say, like, yeah, let's be done with the willpower, y'all. We're realizing that it's not working. So we've got to get some better answers uh, with that as well. So, so Carrie, I mean, I, actually, now that I'm saying that, I'm being an armchair. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm like, <laughs> armchair psychologist. Hey, my name is Lisa Anderson. Okay, that was weird. Um, so actually, why don't you give us some legit, uh, actual, like real science on this and, and just what you know about really recognizing like, this is why people get professional help, because sometimes you do need someone to walk alongside you, or you do need someone to kind of help you sort through, I mean, goodness, like Sterling's story, 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some stuff, there's some wounds, there's some trauma. There are a lot of things in a backstory that could play into this. So mm-hmm. how would someone even kind of take that first step? I think the larger picture is anytime we want to create any kind of change in our lives or any kind of change in our marriages or relationships, we really would it would be in our best interest to do that from a real holistic perspective we're not just spirit and mm-hmm. um, we're not just the physical man you know that we're we're both at the same time always we're never one or the other and so you know it increases your likelihood to change your behavior when you really um, look at it that from from that perspective um, so if you're trying to just focus on not doing something but you're not shoring up your spirit, man. You're not really, you know, mature in your walk with the Lord. You're not really understanding your identity in Christ and the price that He paid for you and those kinds of things. Then behavioral change is only going to take you so far. Um, but the opposite is true. I think many times people might try to um, tackle something that's a struggle in their lives just from a spiritual standpoint. And yes, they're absolutely multiple testimonies I have on myself of you know pursuing change in in a certain area and. You, you know, you do the counseling, you read all the books and you, you get support. But really, when you have that moment, that encounter with God, when he says in his sovereignty, this is enough, um, then um, and you find freedom in that. But many people, they actually require that additional learning piece that can happen when you walk this out with a you know, professional that really maybe specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, that there is a component to this where you, rewiring your brain um, is really, unless God in his sovereignty touches you and does that, that is going to require some work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper, um, both Alex and Sterling, into what you talked about, about walking into freedom. And because there's a big difference between I was addicted to pornography for 10 years, and I literally have have actually walked in freedom or Alex, as you said, this was the last time I looked at pornography, something had to change. And something so, so talk because I think there are a lot of listeners, both men and women listening who are like, I don't think that could ever happen to me. I don't think that's even possible because exactly as you both said, I've tried, maybe I'm just not strong enough, maybe I'm just not. So give people a glimpse of actually how your life has changed mm-hmm. in in this way. Yeah, so before I get into kind of what what worked for me, I want to make a qualifier that everybody's different. Mm-hmm. And my story is just one of many. And so put my story in the hat of your perceived solutions that you could go after. Mm-hmm. Try it out, see if it works. Uh, because every everyone's solution is going to be different because everyone's past is different. Everyone's brain is different. Mm-hmm. The one thing I know is constant is that God wants the glory mm-hmm. for this. God wants the glory for you. 
doing the good work of not sinning. It literally says in uh, 1 Thessalonians that he, his will is that we should abstain from sexual morality. So he, his will, his glory. And so that's the through line. So for me, what happened was I was part of an accountability group. Um, and one of the guys I heard in one of our meetings that he had never watched porn in the last like three years. Like he had had three years of freedom and everyone else in the group was talking about their last relapse, like last week or something. And I was like, I need to figure out what this dude Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. His name was Neil. And I got on a call with him. I was basically like, Neil, like, what did you do? Let me steal your silver bullet. And he told me something that worked for him. It was called breath prayers or breathe prayers. And it's nothing about the breathing. It's about the prayer aspect Mm -hmm. of it. You would choose a Bible verse and you would say half of it while breathing in and half of it while breathing out. So his was Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he would just breathe in and breathe out, breathe in and breathe out, saying that prayer to himself and to God, asking him for help, having mercy on like me, a sinner, basically. And he basically told me, Alex, like whenever a temptation comes my way, I will breathe, pray until it goes away. I'll just breathe, pray until it goes away. Hmm. And I was like, can't be that simple. I mean, <laughs> come on. So I chose 1 Corinthians 10.13 as mine, which 1 Corinthians 10.13 is a very popular verse for this type of stuff. Uh, God is faithful. He will never let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he'll provide, a, he'll provide you a way of escape. And the key is that you'll be able to endure it. Not that he'll like take away the temptation and change your body chemistry so you're never tempted again, Mm -hmm. but that you'll be able to endure. Mm -hmm. So my breath prayer was, God, you're faithful. Be my way of escape. God, Mm -hmm. you're faithful. Show me my way of escape. Mm -hmm. Because with all these safeguards, all all I learned was that even if my phone is locked down, even if I don't have a laptop, even if there's no pornography on earth, I still have my brain. Mm -hmm. And to truly lock off myself from the possibility of sin, I would have to be brain dead. Mm -hmm. So in those moments when a temptation would come, I would just breathe in, God, you're faithful, breathe out, be my way of escape. Mm -hmm. And I took Neil's advice and I prayed until it went away, knowing that, I mean, Isaiah 41 talks about how um, God's going to be with us and strengthening us by his his right hand. That's what worked for me. Mm -hmm. And so be sure to like try out everything. Get mm-hmm. get software, get accountability, go to counselors. Please go to counselors to like talk about this. But what worked for me was after everything else had failed, praying to the Lord, God, give me your determination because mine's out. Mm-hmm. Give me your willpower because mine is depleted. Mm-hmm. Just like you were saying, um, Sterling, I don't have the desire to not sin right now. My desire is to sin against you by watching porn. Mm-hmm. God, you're faithful. Be my way of escape. So I would just breathe and pray until it went away. And every single time to this day, he has been faithful to eventually make the temptation go away. And it always goes away when I ask him for help. Hmm. Eventually. Yeah. Sometimes it takes five minutes. Sometimes it takes 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes an hour. But he's always faithful to guide me out of that. So yeah. that's what worked for me. Yeah. Well, that is so good. Um Okay, crazy. I'm I'm loving this conversation. This is so helpful and so encouraging. And we are, you listener, uh, we're going to make you wait for Sterling's answer to that question. Sorry about that. This is our practice in, <laughs> we're going to all breathe in, we're going to breathe out. No, here it is. Next week, uh, Sterling, will you come back, all of you guys? I want to continue this conversation because we have to talk about you two dudes are married. We got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about more with Carrie and what we're seeing kind of in the culture and all that. So um, willing to show up next week? Yes. I'm looking forward yes. to it. Okay, let's do it. And Sterling, we will start off next week um, getting your story of kind of what Alex was just talking through. So thanks awesome. so much. Of course. This world is a thief walking the streets trying to steal my hope, steal my dreams, dressed up in disguise, whispering lies so sweet. I don't want to go one more day watching you take all the good things in this life the good Lord gave. I'm taking back what belongs to me. I'm Well, 
folks. Welcome to this week's culture segment. And uh, we are introducing you to new friends to Boundless. I say that often now. It's not, um, there have been so many new people that we have found here at the Boundless Show. And it's been really exciting to to see that happen, to meet some new people. And I know you all are always here for this when we are talking about growth and maturity and especially like moving into really elements of your faith that you want to be discipled and all of that. And so this week is going to be no exception. I get to introduce you to Mark and Rosie McKinney. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, The Boundless Show. Um, You're going to hear a little bit of an accent in Rosie. We already established her um, born right in Yorkshire. Actually, Leicester, but grew up in Yorkshire. Okay. Okay. Grew up in Yorkshire. So shout out to our... British friends, because we do hear from you. It's always, Rosie, it's always the Brits and the Australian. Well, I guess Australia. Do do Australians call themselves Brits or no? No. They're just oh, part no. of the... Oh, no. They're, okay. See, good to know. I learn something new every day. Um, but it is fun. You know, they always like to, to hear one of their own. So... All right. That said, we're going to be talking today. Rosie, you have actually penned a book that is titled Fight for Love. We're going to be talking about this today in the context of what it looks like to fight for freedom from pornography, specifically in the context of a relationship. We're going to hear the story of both of you and how you grappled with this. Um, Just so all of you know, Rosie is the founder of Fight for Love Ministries, and it empowers and equips women um, with the faith and the facts to fight against porn addiction and its effects upon them and their spouses and families. And so um, really, Mark, you are a pastoral care provider, ordained minister. And I want to just start off, I'm not even going to tell your story. I'm going to let you two tell it uh, as how this has played out. And then, of course, I have so many questions for you. (laughs) We talked a little bit before we started recording of how I'm like, okay, and I know someone in our audience would ask this. I know they'd ask this. I know they'd ask this. So go ahead and you just start us off and, and tell us about getting married and specifically those early days of the honeymoon and beyond and the discovery that happened. Go for it. Okay, I'll I'll start. Okay, so I'm actually going to start a little bit before we got married because I think that gives some context to how I dealt with this issue when it presented itself. Mm-hmm. So before becoming a Christian, I was in a relationship with an unrepentant porn addict. So I'd had that experience of being with somebody who was compulsively looking at porn, denying it, saying it was all my fault. Um, and I tried everything to get it out of the relationship and nothing worked and it all fell apart and it was very, very um, hurtful and confusing and painful. Okay, forward, I become a Christian, yay. I meet, meet Mark, yay, we get married. And he, I know that in the past he has struggled with pornography because he's told me, mm-hmm. but in my naivety, I'm like, well, he's told me and he has um, fought against this. He doesn't want this. Um, I've got one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. This was such a change from my previous experience. So we just get married. And then on the honeymoon when now intimacy becomes part of our relationship, it becomes a case of sort of Jekyll and Hyde. He becomes critical, resentful, angry. And I'm like, what has happened? And there's enough red flags that are similar to what I've experienced before that I go, hang on a minute. Something is a major issue here and I don't think it's me. I don't think it's me. We need help. So we go and see uh, a counsellor, sort of a last last ditch attempt and she says you do realize he's a sex and porn addict and I went I'm sorry so then I have this choice and I and I I really did believe that God had put us together I really did and so I I just set this boundary and it must have been inspired by the Holy Spirit because I had no self-esteem or no self-worth at that point and I just said you can have porn or you can have me but you can't have both we need to sort this out and then we can see who we've really married you know we need help we need to get to the bottom of this so maybe I'll pass it over yeah. to you now, Mark. Well, I thought I was just going to interrupt quickly. I thought one thing that was fascinating about that is you really were a baby Christian. Yeah. I mean, not that anyone yeah. wants to marry a porn addict, but the fact that you weren't just like, well, this yeah. is the way our culture is, whatever. I dated another guy. Hopefully, Mark, you know, this is going to be better. You yeah. really drew that line in the sand and you knew in your spirit at that point that this was something that was a no-go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um but I, I think, think go on. yeah, I, I think you were aided, if I can say that, in a way, by my appalling behavior. Hmm. Because by, by that I mean, 
um, I was so critical and so um, uh, dismissive and I, I was just horrible. So had I not been horrible, because that's sometimes the case, you know, sometimes guys are able to maintain uh, congeniality and and niceness and all that stuff. Her, the blessing here was that I was absolutely horrendous, mm-hmm. which kind of motivated her like, I'm not doing that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I Okay. So I, I would love for you, Mark, I, I felt like even in going through the book, there were a few things you said that I felt were so helpful in talking about the struggle with pornography. Because we talk, I mean, we hear this all the time. Well, you know, it's a struggle. Everyone struggles with sin. It's this and that. We think of it, and I think you actually delineate this in the book. We all assume that it's this external force on us, or it's the stuff in the culture, or it's something we viewed, or something, whatever. And you actually say, I thought this was, um, I thought this was so helpful. I wanted to say this. You said you had always wanted to heal and you estimate you estimated spending twenty thousand dollars on yeah. healing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the want to was not necessarily the problem. No. You were had God waved a magic wand over you, you would have been there for it. Right. Okay. Right. So, but you said you always wanted to heal, but you were never willing to submit. Amen. Please right. explain that for us, because I think that was extremely important in this part of the story. Yeah. So I think that the key point there is um, I wanted to do it my way. And that way included Jesus, as long as I was the director and Jesus was my servant. Okay. And I know that sounds brutal, but that's really what was going on. I was saying, hey, Jesus, you come over here and heal me, not, hey, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do and I'll do it. That's the way you get better. Not by, I mean, I I did every therapy you can possibly Mm -hmm. um, imagine, but I wanted to do therapies that kept my self-image intact as the nice guy and the guy who's funny or the guy's whatever. I didn't want to tell people. I didn't want to get in a group. Oh my gosh. I didn't want to do all that stuff. Okay. I was going to ask you, like, what did you feel he was telling you to do that you weren't wanting to do? And it involved, obviously, humbling yourself. I mean, talk about like how how were some of those things presented to you and you kind of tried to skirt around them? Well, interestingly, I kind of knew, I knew kind of what I had to do, but Mm -hmm. I, I, whether it was arrogance or pride or whatever, but I thought I could find a way around it. Yeah. So, I mean, I always tell the guys that I work with that I was the bleeding woman, you know, that I, I'm the guy who spent lots of money and got nowhere until I, out of desperation, came and touched the the cloak of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you talked about and you use this to really talk through your story, this idea of there is no silver bullet. But I think a lot of people try to. In fact, I remember interviewing a friend of mine for this show years ago. We've actually now had 15 years of the show, if you can wow. believe it or not. I actually was a young adult when I started hosting this, I feel like. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I remember him saying, and and I feel like this is so resonating in what you're saying, that he remembers jousting at his sin, but he was never really willing to lop it off. Kind of this idea of, right. you know, and, and I think there are those band-aids of like, well, I'm putting stuff on my phone or I'm taking Filters, apps off yeah. my phone or I'm doing X, Y, Z. But that all sounds so good. Why is it not enough? Because, the, you know, in First John 1, 7, it says if we walk in the light mm-hmm. and the, the, the word there actually means if we conduct our life in the light as he himself is the light, then we have fellowship and then he heals us. So all those lopping off um, uh, uh, modes really is, is self-will. It's really like, Lord, yeah, I know your remedy, your, your pills, your vitamins, whatever, your, your source is, is on the table, but I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. And I will say I'm kind of in tandem with that. I the pulling this quote uh, from what you said, humans are far more addicted to being their own lord than they are to any substance or process. Yeah, totally. Which is why I think pause bookmark uh, anyone who's listening to this and they're like, "Well, thank God pornography is not my problem." Okay, but is alcohol, is addiction to digital tech, is addiction to food, is it because I feel like there's parallels here Sure. of like we decide that we want to do, we want to preserve our reputation, we want this to be right. about X, Y, Z. Okay, Rosie, clearly you're now here. You just want your husband to be fixed <laughs> because you don't want, I mean, clearly you don't want a broken relationship. You already had to ditch one guy because of the unrepentance and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now are you, have you just signed yourself up for something? What was your thought process as, w- tell us what the next steps were. I mean, because clearly if if he was saying, I've tried, I've tried $20,000, wh- how do you turn a corner and do anything differently? 
what was a really important turning point for me was I needed to understand why I'd married him. Mm. So stop looking at him. And there were enough red flags in our engagement that mm. they should have been they should have been waving. I should have noticed them. Okay. But actually, having had that prior experience, sh- I should have known. And so I was like, I believe that you've put us together, God, for a reason. I do believe I'm supposed to be married to him. However, I need to understand why I keep doing this to myself um, and what brokenness there is in me. So my journey became a it was almost like I put the marriage on the table, on the shelf rather, while I looked at my, not my part in his stuff, but my part in my journey. Mm-hmm. And because I'd come with a lot of baggage mm-hmm. and he'd come with a lot of baggage. And it was like, OK, this is God has like given us time out and he'd, he'd taken me you know, away from my country and away from my job and away from my name and away from my family. Like nothing left but to surrender and say, OK, God let's have a look. Let's have a look what's down there. And I was able to do that quite quickly in my recovery journey because we just got married Mm -hmm. and we hadn't got years of betrayal to unpack. So women who are dealing with this, who've been married for five, 10, 20 years have Mm -hmm. got a lot more baggage, but I was able to do it at the beginning um, and actually go, okay, let's heal my brokenness. He can heal his brokenness and then we'll see, then we'll be able to see what really is the potential here but the moment it's so murky it's so confused mm-hmm. we just need to just take time out and heal and and I'm so excited that this message is going out to your audience because they're not you know not married yet you you're listening to this you have an opportunity to hear what this will do to a relationship and take avertive action mm-hmm. you you can you can do that boundary before yeah. you get married you can do that healing before you get married you can actually really know your spouse mm-hmm. and they know you before you walk down the aisle and that is beautiful i wish we'd had the opportunity to walk down the aisle as we are now with the level of intimacy and authenticity that we do now and the, and the love that we have for each other yeah. that we didn't have at the beginning Obviously. <laughs> so so to that point, what would you say? Because I think, you know, we, we even see at Focus on the Family, Boundless is, you know, parent organization. We see couples that have come, they're on the verge of divorce. They come through our Hope Restored program where they'll sit on a couch with a therapist and say, well, my husband is the one who cheated or my husband is the one addicted to pornography. So fix him without being willing to look at themselves and say, "Okay, we're all broken. What even precipitated my, you know, being being in for this relationship or where has this gone? Whatever. Talk a little bit about what would you say was especially problematic in your own baggage that maybe allowed you to put the blinders on or not ask the right questions or feel like, you know, this was going to be number two at that point. I think it was recognition. And you have to understand, I didn't become a Christian until my early 30s. True. So I have a very prodigal story, but I also had a history of a series of dysfunctional relationships. Mm. And it's like the common denominator here is me. And I met enough nice, kind, healthy men who I rejected and so and now I've managed to get myself married and it's all gone spectacularly wrong I have to stop this Mm -hmm. I don't know what the future holds but I have to stop this now because it's getting progressively worse and there's no hiding anymore there's no pretending anymore it's like I was faced with my I hit rock bottom just like he hit rock bottom and I think that's where our story is different from other people's in that we hit rock bottom quite in the same place. Mm-hmm. So that as we walk through recovery, we could sort of be allies. You know, you'll never believe what I've just discovered about myself. You'll never believe what I've just discovered about myself. Not to say it was completely rosy and there was certainly tension and friction and mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff going on. But that ability to actually walk your own path is so freeing and empowering at the same time because you only have control over your own healing. I didn't have mm-hmm. control over his. I could sure. set boundaries to keep myself safe. Like this will not be part of our marriage. This behaviour will not be part, you know, your your behaviour towards me will not be part of our marriage. Um, but I have control over my healing. Yeah, and, sure. And if you could do that before you get married, yeah. please do. 
And I definitely am going to want to get into the boundaries and the safety. But first, I want to talk about like, because this is, I could tell you right now, I have listeners who are going to be like, well, here's how I'm going to head this off at the pass. I am just not going to get married because I am convinced that there is no one out there that I can marry, that I can trust, that I know will be safe, that I know hasn't struggled with pornography addiction, whatever. And there's this fear, especially among women, I think, in this kind of scenario. But first of all, Mark, why don't you explain, maybe explain from your point of view how to allay some of those fears. So for couples, unless we're going to just throw marriage out entirely and just be like, everyone just be lone rangers and it's you and God and figure out your stuff. What would you say, especially to the women listening who are like, well, yeah, Mark, I don't want to marry you. What what in the world? Well, I mean, the truth is that you're going to marry a sinner. Yes. Period. I mean, and whether that sin manifests as pornography or not, you're going to, and often, you know, why are there so many books in Barnes and Noble on marriage is because marriage is, is hard because we come in with our own exp- I don't I don't mean marriage is hard in terms of oh it's drudgery but it's hard in this one way is that we have expectations for that person and I do believe that we have kind of idolatrous expectations like this person is finally going to love me in the way that God created me to be loved mm-hmm. so so I think first of all I'd say to people you know that that you are going to marry a sinner unfortunately you know, the stats now are that 90, I think 97% of boys by the age of 18 look at hardcore pornography and then Christians, it's 93%. So their fears are right. But I would say there's there's so much hope there because if you can actually address the sin, the thorn, basically, um, the, okay, now we know the thorn in, in our relationship is pornography, whatever. If you can address that porn and your your partner is wanting to do whatever it takes to deal with it, you can have a fantastic marriage. A fantastic marriage. Because now this guy, because the thing about pornography that's different from alcohol or whatever is that you can get high by closing your eyes. You can you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to go anywhere. It doesn't smell on your breath. Your eyes don't dilate. So it's extremely easy to hide. Hmm. So, But the beauty of that is that in order to heal from it, there's no way you're going to heal without a deep surrender uh, reliance upon the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that... So that's what I would say. I would say to people, and also I do think it's, a, it's a, I think marriage is a step of faith. Mm-hmm. It's a step of faith. I mean, look at the vows we take, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I did a wedding because I'm, I'm ordained. So I did a wedding like three years ago and I felt compelled to say to the people, you know, with, with the hundred people present, there's no way you're going to be able to keep these vows. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And even, you know, because love, honor, and cherish on a daily basis, hour to hour, minute to minute, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do is we need to actually... How do we find a way to trust the Lord and learn to love somebody who is who is sinner? That, that I think that's the path yeah. for people. Sure. So meanwhile, so that we don't just, you know, give everyone listening a license to be like, go into your marriage as a total train wreck and just right. trust oh, God totally. with it. Yeah. What, <clears throat> like talk about pre, you know, back it up pre-marriage. What actually, you know, give those folks that are single, as Rosie alluded to, hope for, okay, I feel like this is still a struggle. I feel like I haven't dethroned myself. And, you know, to Rosie's point, I feel like I haven't asked myself enough of the right questions. I probably am dating the wrong guys. What are some some healthy steps for people to begin today for becoming that person that's going to have that fighting chance going into marriage on these levels? I, I just think the transparency aspect is key mm-hmm. because what I hear over and over is that the behavior is very harmful to partners and wives, but the deception is equally, if not more harmful. Mm-hmm. So if you're dating somebody, what you need to set from the very outset is is deception's not okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would, I'd really lay a hard line on that. And if your partner struggles with porn, he's going to have to do some things. He's going to have to give you, if, if the relationship's at a point where you're serious, then he's going to have to give you some kind of full disclosure and he's going to have to consistently tell you. If he slips, he needs to tell you. Mm-hmm. You don't want a guy trying to kind of like go over here. So I think the, the here's the thing I would say to couples. If, if you know, with, with they were my kids, I would say to them, walk in the light, rigorously and thoroughly walk in the light with other people, with your partner, you know, and, and you'll be okay. To have a partner who holds a boundary is a gift. To have a partner who is willing to face their own addiction and be rigorously honest about it is a gift because 
it's giving you like an e-ticket to the intimacy that you only normally get after like 20 years of marriage when you've been through all those struggles because you're forced to develop really good communication skills and ways of checking in with one another that you probably wouldn't otherwise do if you weren't dealing with these really difficult topics. So it's like a hothouse. It's like a fast track for a really potentially amazing marriage. But you're going to have to go through a bit of struggling beforehand and one thing to keep at the back of your mind, you know, yes, the percentages of, of young men and women now doing pornography is quite terrifying. However, they got hooked as children. This isn't something that they wanted to to get ensnared into. This is not a, a character flaw. This is something they've been they've been hooked into, but now they definitely need to surrender and walk this path. And just want to frame this discussion with with hope that it's really if you really do feel like this is the person for you, but there is this issue, you know, fight for it in the sense that, you know, lay your boundaries down. We're going to do this. We're going to do this path. We're both going to surrender and and see what happens. You don't have to make a decision. And because if you've got a guy who is willing to do whatever it takes, he can be free. Mm-hmm. He can yeah. be free. And, yeah. and he will be empathetic and communicative uh, and intimate with you in a way that is really very incredible. You have yeah. to learn that. I would just it, I think it is a character flaw though. Okay. <laughs> Cuz you said, you know, well it's not a character flaw. Well, well, children. Oh, I know, but I'm saying though that um looking at pornography is I mean, we don't we don't we're not tempted by the devil in things that we don't want, right? Mm-hmm. So wanting that it it we got to call it what it is, right? I mean, would you agree to that? Yeah, when when it becomes a choice. Okay. I'm just I mean, thinking of your okay. little 8-year-olds who are yeah, seeing yeah, yeah. it and, yeah, and can't, I hear can't look at it. It's like yeah. don't blame them. Mm-hmm. This isn't some moral failing. It's like they're curious, naturally curious and yeah, they've got hooked. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but I like your point. Yeah. 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 No, and the fact that there is a very real, like, physiological component to it. I mean, right. it, that that's why we refer to it as addiction, right. you know, in that sense. So I think that's great. I would like you to, um, Mark, and then, well, Rosie, okay, first of all, talk a little bit, because we, we mentioned that we would talk a little bit about um, the safety plan, what you refer to as that, of what it looks like to say, I love you, because clearly you were married now. You wanted to commit. You wanted to see forward movement in this. You wanted to see healing, but you couldn't just, you had to you had to be protective as well. So what, what, what did that look like for you practically? A safety plan, it, it's, you do the thinking work of what you're going to need before uh, a slip happens, before they they act out again. Because at that moment, when they come to you and go, I've got something to tell you, those horrible words, I've got something to tell you, you know, your mind is then going to spin out and you're going to go straight to fear and anxiety and anger and all those other things and not going to be able to think straight. And you might have a reaction that actually is counter to your health and your recovery in that you want to be more close to them, even though they've just hurt you and betrayed you and deceived you. Um, because you're so desperate for that comfort. So the safety plan is you think through what you're going to need. Are you going to need safe uh, space? Are you going to need emotional space or physical space? Are you going to need support? Um, is he going to need to leave the house? Is he going to need to sleep in another room? Really think through. So like, how am I going to look after myself if the worst happens? But then you need accountability to actually follow through because it's a it's an outward manifestation of the inward consequences that are going on. So although it might seem like this is being punitive and these are the consequences and you Mm -hmm. go and sleep in another room if you do da-da-da, it's actually not. It's making real in a tangible way the damage that has just occurred because of the the betrayal Mm -hmm. and the the deception. And that's why there are different levels of consequences if they confess within an allotted time. Because, um, as Mark already mentioned, it's the deception that wrecks you, that destroys your trust. The betrayal, the acting out, it's horrible to think about and it is hurtful, but the deception really plays with your mind. Sure. So as we finish, Mark, I would love for you, uh, because I think one of the most helpful aspects of this book is the is the leaning towards freedom and this idea that even in all this conversation and the fact that we have to be realists about it and we are sinners and whatever is no one has to get married saying, okay, well, if my husband or wife, you know, we know women struggle too only looks at porn seven times a week, that's going to be good. That's going to be our benchmark. We're going to go for that. You know, you know, and and I think you said uh, found freedom from porn in 2009. 
So yes. walking yeah. walking in freedom is possible. I love how it is described, both in your own testimony and, and Rosie talks about it in the book, um, as an identity issue, this identity. In fact, uh, it said here, you know, you had a friend who told you you have two hobbies, pornography and feeling bad about pornography. And somehow that somehow a choice had to be made and a like you are actually going to live in an identity that is not all I do is fail when it comes to pornography. God, Jesus is going to give you the freedom. Talk about what living in freedom looks like. Well, I think the first thing, like Rosie said, you you have to surrender the image you have of yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super important. So, I mean, I I really did want people to see me as funny and laid back and blah, blah, blah. And really the way God made me was what you have to surrender to. Who who did God make Mark to be? And that's where the freedom is. So the freedom I have now is, I'm a lot more free to be authentic. I can disagree with people. I can go, I don't agree with you. And and and, and the sky's not going to fall. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So the identity in Christ comes from, look, if the creator of the universe actually loves me, I, I can't say this is entirely true because I'm human, but I don't need your approval. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That That's what I say to guys. It's like, Hey, man, it's not about like, okay, I didn't eat the cookie for four years. Yay. It's like, that's boring. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, if, and if God was only interested in, in you not eating the cookie, come on. Sit, really? Seriously? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's interested. Jesus came to set the captives free to live as children of God, dependent on him, free to be. I mean, look at how Jesus, Jesus was absolutely perfect and free and so free that he told the truth to the point where people killed him. We got to go there a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know what I mean? But, Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's, I think the benefit of recovery is that, that authentic living that is, that is glorious, honestly. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that is so pivotal in the way you tell that story is so helpful because I think it, you know, you're, you're trading. I think so often we talk about, and I've said this several times on the show, the reason we have idolatry is idols work for a season. Amen. They <laughs> this do. Is yes, not, they do. <clears throat> this is not like, oh my goodness, there's nothing attractive about pornography. Hello, uh, right. people are porn addicts for a reason. Right. But the trade, you are making an exchange for something that ultimately is so much better. Perfect. And is transformational right. and is a relationship and yeah. not just a transaction. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You guys, you need to sit with that for a minute. And then you need to get a copy of Fight for Love. We've been talking with Mark and Rosie McKinney um, about their story, the journey of Mark's freedom um, from a pornography addiction that, let me reiterate, he spent $20,000 trying to, quote unquote, overcome (laughs) And recognizing that, oh, my goodness, now they're married. Now Rosie is part of this. And even recognizing, Rosie, as you said, your own stuff in the midst of this. And so um, walking that out. You guys, we want to make a copy of this book available to you for a gift of any amount. Um, This may be something that is your struggle. It may be something you are dating someone you are wanting to date. You are paralyzed by fear on all levels here. Grab a copy of this book by going to boundless.org. Just search for 814. That's this week's episode. You're going to see the book cover there. You click on it. You give a gift to Boundless. We will send a copy of the book as our thank you uh, for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So you can make this happen. This could be a great conversation in your own heart with the Lord. Um, with friends, uh, just being, you could be this person in your church who's going to start this conversation. And so go ahead, make that happen. And um, I think you will be glad that you did. So thank you too so much for being on the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Perfections picking up dust in my soul. I met a savior who said, I'll trade your rust for my glittering gold. Oh, how could I say no? I traded a life of sin for a life with him. I came alive when we switched.
folks. We're here for the inbox, and this is where someone who is an expert, and we do have experts here, answers one of your questions. And so we often bring in one of our licensed professional counselors here at Boundless and focus on the family. And today we have the fantastic Glenn Lutchens back. Hey, Glenn. Hi, Lisa. (laughs) All right. Well, let me read the question, and I'm going to have you take a stab at it. All right. Uh, our listener says, in a dating relationship, how and when would you recommend someone address their past issues with same-sex attraction, self-harm, and other things that may be part of their story? Okay. Uh, first, I appreciate the fact that they want to be transparent because yeah. that's really key. They're basically, if we were to kind of look at some different stages of relationships, and if we overly specify it, it gets a little bit wonky, but let me just mention three. One is interest. And that's just where a person's getting to know someone. There's just an interest in that individual. Second might be what we would call exploration. So they are spending time getting to know a person, maybe in group settings, but also maybe on, on dates. And then the third would be pursuit. This, that's when it becomes really more of a, an intentional, I'm dating you. It's a very specific, understood expectations. I think in that second phase of exploration is really probably where that communication takes place. But it needs two things. It needs trust, trust on the part of the individual who is going to be sharing it, that what they're sharing is not going to be misused. But then there's also trust on the part of the individual receiving it, that a person is going to share with them those things that are important in the process of making a decision. If it's done too soon, I think that can be problematic. But I think it also can be problematic if it's done too late. In other words, uh, in, in baseball, a center fielder, it's always easier to move forward than it is to back up. Mm-hmm. And if a couple is really kind of committed to each other, they're looking towards marriage, maybe not engaged, maybe they are engaged, and then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, is shared, that can be a pretty problematic issue. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think it is helpful, like you said, that two-way trust and the person mm-hmm. who's receiving the information to to know that, okay, this person is going to share enough of this. I can trust that. Maybe there are yeah. other people in that person's mm-hmm. life who are like, yeah, you know, I'm part of this story or right. I've, I've heard them walk this out mm-hmm. in small group or at church or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that is helpful. And some of it's going to depend upon where a person is as far as working through it. Mm -hmm. Um, In the question, it talked about maybe self-harm. Is a person still at a place where self-harm is really a struggle? Uh, What steps are they taking to deal with it? you know, we all, all are in a process of growth. And so just because maybe that has been present in a person's life, it doesn't mean that's where they are. If that's where they are, then taking the steps to get help and really pursuing that, I think, becomes really crucial. So just really being transparent and saying, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, I don't want to mislead you in any way. I don't want there to be something that would come out, you know, a month or two if we were to get married. I want you to be aware of who I am so you can make as good a decision as you can as far as if you want to pursue a deeper relationship. Yeah, that's so good. It just reminds me too, as as you were saying that, I, I'm thinking of how, especially younger generations now, I feel like millennials and Gen Z are better at this, of just acknowledging the facts. Mm-hmm. You know, just it, mm-hmm. you saying, you know, lots of people talk about various struggles, whether right. it's mental health struggles or stuff like same-sex attraction or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's kind of like a statement of fact of like, yeah, we've all got stuff. We've all had struggles. We're all walking through stuff. But like you said, the discernment comes in. When do I actually enter the story yeah. and when do I bring this person in. And so they're kind of our different levels of that. So I appreciate and in, you. In some ways, it's not just what are you dealing with, but how, how are you dealing mm-hmm. with it? And if there's a process of growth that a person's pursuing, that goes a long way in yeah. helping. Absolutely. Well, great. And as always, for anything like this, whether it's something you are walking through or you know that this is a struggle, you know that this is something you might need to get some additional assistance on, we always want to remind you that we have got our team of counselors here at Focus on the Family and Boundless who are willing to give you a complimentary consult that may just give you some insight, probably steer you in the right direction, and even give you a referral in your area for continued care. And so we want to be there for you. We want to kind of help you get started on the right path. And even if it's just a question about like, 
yeah, I'm actually in that exact situation and I'm dating someone now and I fear that maybe this won't go well. Just having that extra set of ears is so helpful, especially when it's someone like one of our great counselors. So Glenn, thanks again. You're welcome, Lisa. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. As always, we do want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org. I also want to encourage you to hit us up on Instagram and Facebook and follow us because we are communicating a lot of stuff there. That's where you're going to get info about what we have going on at Boundless. Also now, as we are in our 25th anniversary month, there is a lot going on. So you want to be aware of that. And so uh, be in the know. And so follow us on social. You can also write to us. And again, inbox questions like this are great for us to get. And you can write to us at editor at boundless.org. And we will give you all the haps. Until then, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. Hey, everybody. Here the latest episode of my podcast, Refocus with Jim Daly. Dr. John Lennox talks about how we need to show both love and truth to others. Love and truth, they find difficult to put together because love without truth becomes sloppy sentiment and truth without love becomes hard and can be vicious. Dr. Lennox will help you overcome barriers when sharing your faith on the next Refocus with Jim Daly.